Yo, yo, what's up? Welcome back to the Whistling in the Dark podcast. I'm Patrick Bradley, your host. This is episode 36. Today is Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. Uh, so it's been more than a month since my last uh, my last episode. Shift this mic a little bit. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I had a little a little bit of a burst there in August. I did a uh, couple episodes on Epstein, everything that was going down with his, uh, you know, arrest, trial, and his death. Um, and then I had a another episode there after that, and um, <clears throat> no real specific reason why I. Uh, I don't know, maybe I was a little burned out. I'm still trying to get this um, startup, our first version of our product up. Hopefully uh, this weekend coming up, it's going to be the weekend I get it. So between traveling and various weekends, I've had to uh, really focus on the startup. But anyway, I'm back and I don't expect this to actually be a really giant episode. Um, you know, I... I I do think I got a little Epstein fatigue or just the whole, you know, elite pedophile ring stuff. I, I, uh, you know, my hat's off to people that, you know, really continuously study it uh, and try to shed some light on it. It's, you know, it is tough sledding for sure. It's uh, the darkest of dark topics, and there is so much um, disinformation, so few sources. I mean, it's, you know, it's really difficult. Um, I, I think I might have said it actually last episode, but it really is the only topic that wears on me. Um, nothing else. I mean, I can talk about war and the economy and government corruption and, you know, libertarian ideas and, you know, whatever else, uh, on a day in and day out basis. But, uh, delving into this, you know, these elite pedophile rings and everything that goes along with it is, uh, is, you know, pretty tough. But anyway, so, all that being said, I got a couple of things about Epstein that um, came across pretty recently, and I am going to talk probably the um, most up-to-date news, because, you know, it has been a while. Uh, I wanted to cover some things, but I also, you know, want to keep it pretty relevant. Uh, there's been a good bit of talk about Kavanaugh. It's a book was released and, and allegations and that whole thing apparently unraveled. And even the original allegations and witnesses, <clears throat> they've even lost more of that. So that's pretty interesting. And um, what's the last? Oh, and then, um, you know, recent stuff uh, on the war front. Uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and Trump, I guess. And hopefully he doesn't take the bait and send us 
or you know our troops in the war. So the first topic was director of MIT's Media Lab resigns after taking money from Epstein. Uh, Joyce, Joy, I I tried to figure out how to pronounce his name. Joy, Joyce Ito. Uh, he was the director of the Media Lab at MIT, um, which is pretty prestigious. And over the years, he's accepted money from Epstein uh, grants, you know, for research. And uh, he's tried to cover it up or just, you know, keep it quiet. And so that came out and he stepped down. And furthermore, what I found really interesting because I'm not really sure in general how damning this is of this guy. I don't think that it necessarily and maybe this isn't even where most people head, people's heads are going but you know I don't think that this points to this Mr. Ito as, you know, also having sex with children. I think that it is quite possible that Jeffrey Epstein, for various reasons, um, he certainly had some weird eugenics type of interests, but, you know, it's come out over and over, lots of reports he donated lots of money to different research groups and stuff. And you certainly can go into that in, in a conspiratorial sort of conspiracy theory tact. And I'm not saying that that's wrong either. But on the surface, I don't struggle to balance the idea that Jeffrey Epstein is a child rapist or was a child you know rapist and a a person very you know interested in a supporter of research you know financially uh, scientific legitimate research and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this guy stepping down or the expectations of it I do think it's kind of a little ridiculous that I mean this might be the only person that has been affected by uh, you know all this Epstein news I guess Acosta you know, stepped down I mean he was literally the guy that got him off before um so he had to sort of exit his position uh but this jochi ito has to step down you know when there are so many allegations i mean i guess with this it's there's actually emails in, in this man's own words, where he covered it up. And again, I mean, he just chose to step down, but, you know, what about, you know, all these other people that are 
accused of actually having sex with children and being involved with Epstein. I mean, it's maybe I'm wrong. I, I didn't do a big Epstein, you know, deep dive before this episode. So I, I'm kind of just going off memory. But that was my biggest sort of response at first reading this was the outrage at this Edo gentleman seemed way too close to the level of outrage that I saw against Epstein himself. And, I mean, it's, to me, just two different, vastly different um, levels of bad behavior. Epstein is raping children and keeping them captive and forcing them to have sex with other men. This guy is running legitimate research group, uh, the head of it, the New York Times, and is donated money and accepts it. Uh, I think it's, you know, vastly, vastly different. And the outrage, which is, you know, pretty spot on for the recent years with the uh, Me Too culture, the, you know, canceled, they want to cancel Chappelle or whatever it is. Just outrageous overreactions that, Trump is literally Hitler, etc., etc. This seemed to fit in with that. And again, I mean, not defending this guy, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I personally don't feel this like the same sort of twist in, in my gut when I read that, you know, what this guy did versus you know, what I've read about Epstein or many of the other co-conspirators who, you know, like I mentioned in past uh, two episodes ago, probably last episode, I mean, don't hold your breath that anybody of any significance is going to get uh, brought in, you know, or brought down on any of this. They, uh, I mean, it's just probably not going to happen. Who, I mean, who's going to do it? It's like, you you know, the government ain't, ain't going to uh, lock themselves up. And, you know, most of these people are either involved in governments or intelligence or mega lobbyists of the government. So, you know, almost untouchable. Uh, anyway, so there's one, the one quote, oh, I'm actually looking at the wrong quote, sorry, uh, she had this all lined up, but at the wrong quote, um, he, let's see if we can get, so in an email 
In October 2014, six years after Epstein had pleaded guilty to a sex charge involving a minor in Florida. By the way, this is a New York Times article. Mr. Ito wrote that the gift from Mr. Gates had been directed by Jeffrey Epstein. A development official at the Media Lab, Peter Cohen, wrote in a subsequent email, For gift recording purposes, we will not be mentioning Jeffrey's name as the impetus for this gift. So, Peter Cohen, whoever this dude is, really seems to be the one calling the shots as far as keeping Epstein's name, you know, off the register. Next paragraph says, in a statement, a spokesperson for Mr. Gates said Mr. Epstein had been introduced to Mr. Gates as a person interested in helping increase philanthropy. Although Epstein pursued Bill Gates aggressively, any account of a business partnership or personal relationship between the two is simply not true. The statement said, and any claim that Epstein directed any programmatic or personal grant for making grant making for Bill Gates is completely false. So somebody is lying in all of this. Because if you take these emails at face value, it sure seems like Bill Gates six years after Mr. Epstein had pleaded guilty to a sex charge involving a minor in Florida, was having his investments directed by this man. But no real outrage at Mr. Gates, or Bill Gates there. Uh, everything pointed at Ito, who... Seems to have just sent an email saying that this gift from Mr. Gates was directed by Epstein. It was Peter Cohen who said that we will not be mentioning Jeffrey Epstein's name. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody, including Bill Gates, knew exactly who Epstein is. Um... So, you know, there, that's just a little smoke. Not saying Bill Gates is out there raping kids. But this doesn't help. It'd be one thing if this was before Epstein had been locked up. Or before he was convicted or anything came out. Okay, I'm, you know... I don't I don't know what I would expect, but doesn't matter because that's not what happened. This was years after Epstein had been locked up. And this stuff was you know, the the knowledge that he was guilty of far, far worse than he was convicted of. And when you look at the guy's lifestyle and what you know what has come out, I mean this guy <clears throat> I wonder there is another description about uh, the women coming in with him he 
he came in with like multiple young women with him and it's you know anyway it, it you know this guy you know Epstein years after his conviction was still you know flaunting this behavior uh so you know it was no no mystery and i maybe you could say that i mean maybe the argument is that this is done through the gates foundation i guess you could say that maybe epstein just lied to mit but that he didn't actually get this money from bill gates and he was just trying to make himself look like a bigger deal. Possible. I would think that for bookkeeping purposes, eventually MIT would figure this out. Doesn't seem like they ever came across any information to make them think otherwise. So, I mean, I think at best you would have to say that somehow... Epstein was directing some of the Gates Foundation's uh, investments or grants. But, I, you know, how this red flag doesn't get raised that, hey, I mean, a lot of people knew who he was. And in order to get into the position where you're handling you know, a $2 million donation on behalf of this foundation, certainly you have been vetted and people know who you are. I'm certainly not walking up there and getting access to this. The only way you're getting access to this is by them knowing who you are. So... Certainly doesn't look good for Bill Gates, but it also certainly doesn't fucking matter. As nobody's going to look into this. Nothing's ever going to come from this. And it's a bummer. The Gates Foundation or Gates lawyers obviously covering this up. And I mean, there's really no crime. You know, it's not like there's a crime here. It's just people saving face. So. I mean, they can lie all they want. There's no, you know, there's no recourse to sort of force their hand to ever tell the truth here. So, you know, that's that. And uh, let's see. The next... The next story or the next topic I wanted to talk about was Christine Maxwell. Now, if you guys, I think the first thing I saw about this was, what the heck's her name? Polly. It's just this week. It came across through Twitter. I think she had retweeted something about a company called Kiliad. C-H-I-L-I-A-D. So, um, Kiliad is founded, or I guess at least in part, uh, by Christine Maxwell, according to Wikipedia, was born on August 
1950. She's an internet content pioneer and educated educator, best known as the creator and co-founder of Magellan, which was an internet portal launched in 1995 that provides a variety of content, including news and weather, a meta search engine, web-based email, yada, yada, yada. Maxwell also co-founded the software company Kiliad and is the author of several books. So, Kiliad is a very interesting company. Here is a little YouTube video they put up sort of describing who they are. Information is growing at unprecedented rates. Data collections are growing and moving to clouds. The hardest questions require information from multiple collections, multiple data centers, and multiple clouds. Finding meaning requires a dramatically new approach. Cross-agent sharing is a mandate. Clouds are fantastic for growth and elasticity, but remain a barrier to cross-agency sharing. This is Chris. Chris is an analyst with a problem. He has a series of questions that were So here you go. Chris is a dude of this cartoon character in a black suit with sunglasses on, like clearly an agent. He is looking around confused, and there's a map of a chunk of the world, the US, some of Africa, Europe, and South America. And on these computers are FBI. ATF, UK, Doc, Shazad, I don't know what this is, but all, as you'll see, all different agencies and stuff. needs is spread across multiple agency clouds, stovepipes, and hidden in many different formats. Chris can do it the old way, looking into each source one at a time, but this process is inefficient, time-consuming, and fraught with inaccuracies. Or Chris can use Kiliad to analyze every source and every format simultaneously and instantly, structured and unstructured. He's got glowing hands that are shooting lightning out of them. Research agents fan out to securely reach every source while Kiliad, their guy looks like some red devil thing. ...matters with a brilliant global ranking that makes Chris smile. No other system does this. So, you know, basically, this woman is the uh, founder of software which allows agents, you know, government agents or whoever their users are, uh, to search through basically all the information that's available, whether it's in the FBI, the NSA, local governments, you know, whatever. And trying to see operates private company. It looks like it's still in operation. So this is from seven years ago. And I was thinking for, for reference, in 2012, you most likely had an iPhone 4S. That, and the new iPhone 5 came out, I think, in October of 2012. So when they were building some cross-department you know, search 
uh, you know, fucking artificial intelligence technology to share information between. And remember, this isn't even just in the U.S. They're showing all over agencies all over the world. They're building Kiliad. Um, and the kicker of all of it is Christine Maxwell is Gislaine Maxwell's sister. So they have tried people that are, I don't know why, I'm not sure why you would take the position hard line opposed to this conspiracy theory when we've got such a running start with Epstein and all of these people implicated. But I've heard people try to poo-poo any connection between Epstein and intelligence by saying Ghislaine Maxwell's father, who was pretty inarguably involved in intelligence, Robert Maxwell died before, well before Epstein and Ghislaine or Ghislaine, whatever, ever met. So that so just for reference here, so this is Robert Maxwell. Uh, Wikipedia, according to his uh, Mossad allegations. The British Foreign Office suspected that Maxwell was a secret agent of a foreign government, possibly a double agent or triple agent, and a thoroughly, this is in quotes, bad character and almost certainly financed by Russia. He had known links to the British Secret Intelligence Service, which is MI6, to the KGB, and to the Israeli Intelligence Service Mossad. Six serving and formal heads of Israeli intelligence services attended Maxwell's funeral in Israel while Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir eulogized him and stated he's done more for Israel than can today be said. So there is seemed I would assume very little pushback if you claim that uh Robert Maxwell Ghislaine Maxwell's uh, mother, Christine Maxwell's mother, who is the founder of Gilead, who apparently also her other, oh no, I'm sorry, that's apparently her sister, her twin sister, Elizabeth, helped her co-found Magellan, which is that initial software, so I'm not really sure what... Uh, Isabel Maxwell's sort of future or, you know, what her career looked like after China Sea. So the sister, the other sister, Isabel Maxwell, was the president of ComTouch, an Israeli-American email messaging and security company. The company actually went public in, on NASDAQ in 1999. 2014, the company changed its name to Siren. It's a cloud-based internet security company providing security as a service and threat intelligence solutions to businesses. Services include email, web security, whatever. Uh, which is 
pretty interesting. Had a revenue of 35, almost 36 million in uh, 2018. Interesting. So she is also in security software. Looks possibly... Interesting. Siren, um, okay, threat intelligence, blah, 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 blah. Siren currently employs approximately 220 people in McLean, Virginia. So, right, I mean, where's McLean? Fairfax County. Pretty sure that is like right there. Next to DC. Siren is one of the most well-funded cybersecurity firms in Washington, D.C. metro area, according to 2018 study. Siren made news for its research into phishing trends, particularly the prevalence of Microsoft Office, blah, blah, blah. In the same year, the firm provided primary support to the Icelandic police during their investigation of the largest cyber attack to hit the country. The company estimates that its security cloud currently processes more than 25 billion security transactions generated by over 1.3 billion users in 180 countries. So there's a lot of, I promise you, the lion's share of those 1.3 billion quote-unquote users don't fucking know what Siren is and do not realize they're using this uh, you know, I mean, deep state software, right? I mean, this is it, right? This is, so, Isabel Maxwell writing the most well, uh, you know, founded the most well-funded cybersecurity firm in D.C. Christine Maxwell founds Kiliad, which is, Basically, Google for all the deep state agencies and the deep state without borders. I think that's an interesting thing to think about here is since the popularization of thinking about the deep state and I think a, a big increase in the awareness of this idea from Trump or, you know, the whole Trump moment, you see here that it seems pretty obvious that the deep state doesn't have borders, that the members of this group, as however loosely tied together it is, but they're the people that stay in power Beyond election cycles. They are connecting across borders. Even sharing this government information. You know, that's... They extort the money from us at gunpoint with threat of throwing us into a cage and they use it to pay people like Christine and Isabel Maxwell 
And then you have Ghislaine. Yeah, I'm, I think it's Ghislaine Maxwell, not Ghislaine. She moved to the United States after her father's death in 91 and became a close associate of financier and subsequently convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Maxwell founded the Ocean Advocacy Group, the Terra Mar Project. In 2012, the organization announced closure on July 12th, 2019, a week after the sex trafficking Charges were brought by New York federal prosecutors against Epstein, uh, or at least when they became public. <laughs> yeah, pretty interesting. So, according to Wikipedia, they met in 1990. And uh, yeah, so okay, so you know, what do we do with all this information? To me, again, I don't think we're ever gonna prove anything. I mean, I for me, what has happened personally is there was a shift in myself. And maybe multiple, you know, maybe it took place over a long period of time. I grew up for a while into my even college years. You know, I could say the most, I remember a couple of things. One, I can remember when 9-11 happened. I remember distinctly feeling really sad. I mean, kind of, kind of weirded out because I lived in, like downtown Philadelphia, pretty close to where all the skyscrapers were. And it was really creepy. I remember walking to the train station that day and just looking up, thinking like, fuck, man. It was just weird, you know? And then watching the news and thinking the the the, the thought that I still remember this day was that so many more people are going to die now because of this way more than whoever died in you know in this event and man i couldn't have been more right now i was not a libertarian back then i was more just a jaded kind of you know early 20s person i had absolutely no faith in government but i also had absolutely no faith in capitalism or markets or anything i was just sort of angry and you know didn't trust anybody um then when i was in grad school and i've mentioned this on previous podcasts but i would say okay another thing i said was i i remember distinctly being swayed by this idea basically of who would build the roads because I kind of felt like, well, as long as people need government, nothing's going to work. And if we have some sort of enlightenment where people are just kind of cool with each other, 
basically where we're, you know, all of a sudden all, you know, acting like Jesus, each individual, or pick your, you know, saint or idol of choice that has maximum morality. My thoughts back then were that we would know, you know, we wouldn't need government anymore because we wouldn't, we would just naturally try to help each other out and we wouldn't be trying to kill and steal and everything like that. And this person's response was basically, who would build the roads? Like, how would we have any organization? That actually worked for me back then. I didn't believe in government as being, a, you know, anything great. Uh, but, you know, I was back to, yeah, there's really, there's just no solution and whatever. Then I was talking to a friend of mine in grad school a few years later and I made the statement something like you know obviously there is just inherent corruption in the government to me it, you know if you give special power to somebody they're going to help their friends and from that just sort of small fact you can build up a giant leviathan of the state and all kinds of corrupt corruption and it just feeds into each other. And, you know, that seemed very clear to me. But then I also said, but I look at, and I think I used the phrase unbridled capitalism. And I said, you know, without any restraints and unbridled capitalism, you will have one company swallow another company and swallow another company until you're just left with one company and sort of by definition, capitalism will be dead because there'll be no more competition. And my friend's response was, that's because you don't understand how economics works. And he briefly, you know, said a couple things, but he really didn't go overboard trying to convince me. He just sort of left it at that, saying, actually, in any, you know, free market, in a given industry or you know, set of companies or, how, you know, however you want to slice it up, there is a equilibrium that consists of different sizes of companies. And when a comp, you know, you have an equilibrium, let's say there's three companies and one 60% of the market and the other two are 20. And then the 60% company, they try to make a big push and they, they, take on a bunch of debt to expand or something like that and and briefly you know they start putting output to where they've increased a 70% market share but eventually it it doesn't it doesn't work it's unsustainable it's just they're too big and it's too much waste and uh, and actually a new company is able to enter and take this opportunity, and then, you know, the when the dust settles, you wind up with, you know, just a totally different setup. Now you have, you know, three companies with 20% share and one with 40 or something like that, to where actually this company trying to grow wound up losing market share when it was all said and done, and then now they're dealing with another competitor. Um, and he was saying, you know, it takes lobbying to change the rules 
to protect the incumbents. And that's how we get these ultra mega national, you know, multinational corporations that become borderline, you know, quasi monopolies is because, you know, they're constantly lobbying to protect their position and use the violence that is government to protect them and to change the rules so that it's harder for the new entrants, like in that example, now there's all this extra overhead that makes it so much harder to start a company. Um, you know, and it's one of the reasons that I, for instance, entered into, like I do a lot of web development, and that's kind of the industry I've been in since, I don't know, around 2011, uh, despite getting a PhD in physics, because it there wasn't a ton of regulations. And, you know, and to this day, there's still... You know, they haven't really locked it down yet, or they're trying so hard. Um, but, you know, you can still start an internet company just out of your house, lying in an internet connection and a computer. Like, you don't really need a, much money at all. I mean, at all, compared to anything else, you don't need much money. I mean, tens of dollars is enough. Now, obviously, you need the you know the wherewithal to do it but there's tons of free programming uh you know business building tutorials and everything like that anyway i digress so that really affected me for whatever reason it's somebody that was smart that i respected the way that he thought and i followed that up because to me that was the key argument like that was the key point the reason in my mind that you kind of needed government was to prevent companies from becoming, you know, omnipotent, to, to, to becoming so powerful that they can just basically enslave the population because they own all of the food resources and now we just have to do, you know, be their slave because we have to beg and grovel to get food from them. And his point was just that that is not even theoretically the way this goes let alone in, in you know reality so i followed that up with lots and lots of my own uh research and reading and began you know studying a lot of economics on my own time i uh i eventually found friedrich hayek and read a book called The Constitution of Liberty, not one of his more famous ones. Um, the Road to Serfdom is his most famous. But he is a Nobel Prize winning economist of the Austrian school and learned a lot about, um, you know, the Federal Reserve and inflation, all these things. And, you know, over the years, it really changed the way I thought. And another piece to this shift then... Again, I can, it's just, I can just remember this conversation. It was after the U.S. had invaded Iraq, and we were talking about it, and, and I was saying, you know, it's hard for me when every, everybody talks about, oh, it's about the oil and all this stuff, and that's so evil. And, um, and I said, and it's funny, because back then there was a lot of people in the mainstream that were opposed to the U.S. invading Iraq, and mostly all Democrats were. Not anymore. Everybody in the mainstream is pro-war now in a disgusting turn of events. But anyway, so we 
you know, I, I told him, I said, I don't really get it because it's not like the U.S. would own the oil after all this. I said, at best, you know, we would help them rebuild infrastructure, be a little bit of contracts or something like that. And, you know, for just for their friends to get rich and for them to get rich, just, you know, or more rich, right? These are already very rich people and just to get more rich. <clears throat> and the reason that that has stuck out to me is that now that is not a far-fetched idea. And I really think that that was one of the last footholds I had as far as defending, you know, all this terribleness that we see <clears throat> You know, particularly as libertarians around the around the world, you know, with just this insane empire-building, murderous state and deep state in the U.S. And now I got no problems accepting that, believing that George Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld basically did it for money and power. And I remember it back then saying to him, too, I said, if I believe that, then, I mean, that would put, and not in, a, you know, in any sort of exaggerated sense, that would be as bad as Hitler. You know, I mean, I said, maybe you would even say worse, because at least Hitler seemed to be working from some really corrupt but moral perspective, thinking that he's doing something good. I don't buy that with, with the neocons, you know? I don't buy that with, with the neoliberals, with, with the Clintons or with Barack Obama, you know, piloting this war machine. I don't believe that they have any good intentions at all. What are they exactly? I don't know. You know, read... Read up on conspiracy theories. Read the stuff they they write. Right. Read the uh, the New American Century or you know whatever. I mean, there's a lot out there. It, they want to create one government to run the whole world. They want one central bank to run the whole world. And look at the damage. Look at the transfer of wealth from the poor and the middle class to the elites that has happened in the United States since the Federal Reserve has come into place. And they got this the fucking population, A, number one, like not even talking about, and number two, just, just sleepily assuming that the Federal Reserve is somehow absolutely necessary to the functioning of our economy. So I went from, you know, where I was before, where I just kind of intuitively felt like, man, there's going to be a lot of murders after 9-11 to, you know, where we're at now, where it's just, it's just all evil, all up and down. And there's just this, it just seems like there's just this awful connected web of people that goes back generations in their family and it seems like Epstein is you know part of that like was he just some you know horny old pedophile 
Or was he what it seems like, what Acosta said, owned by intelligence, his girlfriend, his sidekick, his, her father had a eulogy eulogy by the Israeli Prime Minister and their own the British Foreign Office saying he's a double agent or a triple agent with Mossad and the KGB and MI6 I mean is it that crazy I mean this is the whole point it's like there is this uh, and it, you know, and again, I don't want to lose sight of how awful it is to rape children, but it almost seems like it's a tool, you know. I mean, all this, these, these deniers of, and again, I mean, this is not proof. I mean, let's say what what is true. Robert Maxwell was part was definitely involved in intelligence. That's true. Christine Maxwell, his daughter, one of his daughters, develops software that is for intelligence agencies to share data across country borders. Also, Sister 2, Isabel, as one, if not the largest cybersecurity firm in Washington, D.C. So, I mean, there. these are, so there's three, the three closest people. I think the only person that we don't have I mean, I, I haven't even looked. She's got two brothers and Her, her mother, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like three is good enough, right? Like, but it's pretty obvious that Ghislaine Maxwell was very, very closely involved in a familial way with intelligence up and down all around her. There's three, you know, absolute true, you know, connections. And then hers remains somewhat of a mystery, but... Her longtime boyfriend and her, you know, accomplice, or she is the accomplice of, convicted sex offender, is quoted as being owned by intelligence. So her boyfriend's owned by intelligence, her father's intelligence, her sisters are making software for cybersecurity and intelligence agencies. <clears throat> I mean, is it really hard to believe? Or... I mean, you know, people out there, hello, Twitterverse. There's so, you know, I think the mainstream thing is to, is to like scoff at this idea. Like it's not even worth pursuing. I don't know. I mean, there's claims that a lot of what you read, a lot of what you come across in these comments, whether it's on YouTube or, you know, Twitter comments, Twitter posts or whatever, that this shit is all like deep state funded, that they're literally just out there posting disinformation. They're trying to, you know, sort of control the narrative and put out these other ideas, you know, because it's like, 
You look on Twitter, and my God, it's just an absolute cesspool. And maybe that's just what happens when people don't have to actually show their real face. But, I mean, I honestly... Well, I guess I'd say... I guess the only people that really... That I interact with in my day-to-day life that carry that type of, like, vitriol and just, you know, kind of cancerous attitudes are really, you know, young liberal people. They just, they're, they're, I, I, I mean, I guess I have to admit that, like, what I do see on Twitter often, I am shocked when I see, hear somebody sort of re- repeat that in, uh, you know, real life. And, and um, you know, it's almost always somebody in their, like, early 20s or, you know, it just becomes worse and worse the older the person is when you're still, you know, just repeating everything. Everything boils down to race or some gender discrimination or what. You know, it's like at what point you just, you got to, like, chop. there's a lot of stuff to do in life besides you know like you gotta get on with it right I mean I don't know I'm not saying people aren't racist but you know the idea that there are like Nazis waiting in the wings is to me pretty laughable because you know what I don't hear people say in real life shit like Nazi stuff right Never, ever, ever hear anybody. I've never met anybody, I don't think. Now, I know, I definitely know some people that have met people like that. But that's as close as I've ever heard it. I've never had anybody around me speaking Nazi rhetoric and believing it. But I've had tons of people around me speaking very very racist stuff against white people and definitely communist rhetoric which lest we forget communism is responsible for way more death and destruction than the nazi ideology was ever responsible for but somehow it's okay to be communist in the united states in 2019 so who knows what's going on with that? Um, but so this whole Kilian thing seemed very interesting to me. I, you know, I before the only connection was Robert Maxwell, and people were really drawing the connections to that. And so I know I don't think this Polly woman was the one that found specifically this connection. Um, she had retweeted somebody else. Uh, so I don't, I can't say who, you know, was credited with this, but that video I played and I'll leave a link to it. I think it might actually be hidden or, you know, unlisted. They have a few other videos though. Um, but it's old. I don't even know if Kiliad is still in operation. Um, Siren certainly is. And how about that name? Right. But it's C-Y-R-E-N. Siren's a good name though. Um. just keep that that starts to get that little bit of a cult vibe so i think that there is a lot more smoke and has basically turned into a fire the amount of people in and around Ghislaine maxwell 
and then Jeffrey Epstein that are tied in with intelligence, uh, it's pretty damning at this point to imagine that this guy, I mean, this guy is operating the way he was, you know? I mean, anyway, I think it's pretty clear what the point I'm making and just thought I would throw that out there as a little bit extra in the uh, the Epstein case. And to sum up, I don't think anybody is going to get in trouble at all. Possibly, I mean, maybe Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell. Maybe at some point. I, I'm not really sure. I mean, remember, they, they got Epstein because they did undercover work. I mean, and they, like, bugged his house and whatever. That's how they got him the first time. All this other stuff is getting brought. And, and this second time, I'm, I actually forget. I'm not really sure what kicked this off. I guess the conspiracy is that they were going to open up all public records of a lot of the stuff that they had thought they had, you know, neatly covered up before. Um, so there's lots of testimony. So, but I think, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I mean, all, they're supposed to have uncovered all these photos, all these videos, you know, all this evidence. And will any case come from it? Will we ever hear a single word about anything that's on it? Because remember, it doesn't have to be like Bill Clinton to bring a case. I mean, it it's illegal for anybody to fuck kids in the United States. And it's illegal for anybody to, ki- to to like kidnap them and sell them into sex slavery. So if they have a bunch of pictures and stuff and a bunch of evidence, I mean, they could go after all types of people. And I don't know, maybe they're building the ultimate case, but seems really doubtful. Um I just, I think that, you know, they're just going to let it peter out as much as possible. And maybe, maybe the Ghislaine Maxwell, I hope I'm wrong, but, and I mean, other people kind of go down here and there for seemingly, you know, unconnected cases. I think the, uh, the New Mexico governor is getting in trouble, but that's not because of this, you know. He just stepped in his own mess, I think. So so I think that's kind of all I wanted to say about, about Epstein. The next thing I wanted to move on to, which is more sexual uh, assault allegations, but this seems to be of a different kind. This seems to be of the false variety. <clears throat> so CBS reveals, uh, and I'm just looking at the Blaze. Uh, you know, I've used them before. I actually don't know if the Blaze is considered by most to be a reasonable publication. I don't know which way they lean. I'm going to guess conservative, but I don't know. I think I've used them before, but this seems okay. I mean, it's mostly good quotes and stuff. So CBS reveals 
the quote-unquote real bombshell in Kavanaugh's saga that unravels the biggest allegations and it involves accusations of witness tampering by Ford allies. So Leland Kaiser told the FBI last year that she was pressured into saying she believed her friend Christine Blasey Ford's allegations of sexual assault against Justice Brett Kavanaugh, a charge that amounts to witness tampering. So, uh, the bombshell allegation was first reported in the book Justice on Trial. The Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme Court by Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino, but received new life Monday after CBS confirmed the claim. According to CBS News reporter Jan Crawford, Kaiser did not believe Ford's story, but publicly said she did only because Ford's allies threatened her. And this is a quote. Speaking for the first time to the New York Times, Ford's close friend, Leland Kaiser, who Ford said was at the party where Ford alleged alleged Kavanaugh assaulted her, said she didn't believe Ford's account and that it just didn't make any sense. She said also told that for FBI... She also, she said she also told the FBI Ford's allies pressured her to say otherwise. However, it's not clear who pressured Kaiser or what threats were made against her. Um, and also somewhere in here, well, here's the final word. She also says something about not she does not remember the party uh, having occurred. So not only does she not remember or believe, I mean, she's going as far as saying she literally does not believe Blase Ford. She also happens to throw in and she also doesn't even remember that the party uh, of, of this specific party. And here's another quote. And I guess this is this is from the same reporter and their quote is saying now all four people that ford identified as being at the high school party in the summer of 1982 have now said that no such party occurred that's a little strong i mean i think she just said i don't remember it but She's not definitely saying it didn't occur. Crawford reported, and today both the Republican chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Democratic chair of the House Judiciary Committee said that they would not support impeaching Kavanaugh. So, once again, so, so this is sort of the, this is kind of the flip side of it, in a, of, of this, you know, general topic of sexual assault is that it can also be used as a weapon against innocent men. And, you know, I'm no fan of Kavanaugh, right? I'm not a conservative Republican. In fact, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, a voluntarist. I don't want any government. I don't give a shit what the Supreme Court thinks or says about anything. The only reason I listen to them is... Because they're determining the laws, which I will be killed if I do not follow. I will be locked up or murdered if I don't follow them. Um, a little anecdote about this. I was reading, um, I started reading a book called uh, Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper. William B. Cooper, I believe. 
to some extent, uh, kind of a godfather of a lot of the conspiracy theories that we hold so dear today. I was kind of interested in seeing what he said back then and, you know, seeing how it kind of holds up. And, and it's interesting stuff, you know, um, from really, really big claims. I'm not really sure how you would ever verify that he was in intelligence or he saw this stuff or these documents are true. You know, I don't know. I tend to judge people based on things that, like, do they get economics? Like, if they don't really get economics, then uh, they're going to, it doesn't matter how accurate the information they get, they're going to blow the analysis. They're going to, like, misanalyze it and somehow come to the conclusion that they need government to help them or to save them or, you know. So that's a big thing. And that's one of the reasons... I've always kind of liked David Icke, despite how insane the stuff he says is. He always seemed to kind of get economics, at least to some extent. Like, you know, he gets it. Like, people should be free, and that's cool. And and you don't have to put a bunch of rules on us. Like, as long as, you know, the only rule is just, you know, don't don't aggress against each other. And, and I really think that, for the most part, Icke, you know, kind of gets that. And, you know... I'd say Alex Jones did. I, I don't really know what's going on with him now. But before Trump, for the most part, I mean, he wasn't like Ron Paul good on economics. But he was good. I mean, he, you know, a million, million miles better than the neocons or the Democrats, right? He was, he was a hell of a lot closer to a libertarian than he was to a Republican. Now, I don't know. And I guess because Trump is a Republican president, it's somewhat been redefined. But anyway, uh, you know, I was reading the account, an N account. I think it was like a pretty negative account of his death, of William B. Cooper's death. And he was shot in his front yard. And the account is, is that he came out because the, he had stopped paying taxes because he thought it was immoral. Uh, and I do too. And, you know, he didn't want to support this war machine and all this shit. So they eventually, the IRS tracks him down. They come to his house with, you know, and they set up outside. They draw him outside with like loud music in a car. He came out with a gun and supposedly he shot at them first and then they killed him. So, you know, and of course, this article just assumes that that story is true. Um, after I don't know how, you know, why you would just assume that. I mean, you really think that this guy is just going to open fire on a whole group of people with, you know, <laughs> government officials with guns but maybe he did i don't know you know but that's the point right i don't know i wasn't there i'm certainly not just gonna believe what the irs says it's their goddamn fucking mafia you know they have no problems stealing from peaceful people and killing them if need be here you go i mean what did this guy do what like what did he do you know you could say he fired first but they showed up with a bunch of fucking guns and they were going to fucking take him captive and put him in a cage. Like, from my perspective, there is no moral issue with shooting at somebody that is coming to kidnap you and put you in a cage. You're, like, to me, the non-aggression principle says, 
you can defend yourself against that type of aggression. There is like zero doubt in even in this description of William Cooper, uh, his death, one that is trying to be unfavorable to him. There's still zero doubt that the aggressors in this case are the representatives for the IRS coming to kidnap William B. Cooper. There's nothing wrong with defending yourself, you know. Now, would I recommend it? No, because you're going to wind up fucking dead. So, you know, as always, we're left to try to figure something else out. I don't know what else to do besides just talk, talk to people, and hopefully spread the word like it was spread to me. And hopefully I can connect to a couple of other people. And I think I have over the years. And I'm now doing this podcast, hoping to possibly amplify the effect, because I really, truly feel that the only solution out of this is if people stop voting in politicians that are going to support the Federal Reserve, the war on drugs, and all... and. The foreign wars, you know, all the foreign wars and empire building, the military state, the military industrial complex. Yet people got to stop voting those in. If they stop and we start voting in people like Ron Paul, there's hope. How is that going to happen? I don't know, other than just talking about the ideas, you know. And there really, man, there is some real momentum to not letting us talk about these ideas anymore. At this point, we are now, I'm almost considered like a Nazi, Nazi sympathizer for being into free market economics, you know? But anyway, so you see how this is kind of used against, uh, you know, quote-unquote, innocent man or whatever. At least in this case, in this specific case. I don't know what he's done and other stuff. I think there's also, I think also right at this time, um, also in the last, like, couple days, there was, like, all these claims that he had, like, pulled his dick out at some other party, and then apparently the New York Times ran with that story, and then the the supposed witness was like unwilling to go on to talk about it or corroborate it at all so basically they heard that some woman said this and then that woman was like i'm not talking about this like i don't know what she said but she would not talk about it she didn't you know confirm or deny and they had to retract that whole thing I mean, you know, and so what's like the end of this? Like, this is the point. The reason that this shit sucks so bad is because there is no absolutely like at this point in reality, Kavanaugh is as clean as you or me or anybody else, right? He didn't do anything. Everything that Blase Force said has been a lie. All of her witnesses have now turned and said they don't even... Like, the party didn't even happen, let alone anything that she said. So, the whole thing didn't happen. So, Blase Ford, I mean, you know, I'm not saying there isn't some, like, outside chance that, I, you know, I, I don't really know how you would get around that. I, I, I'm not sure if, 
she was confused about which party or they're confused, but nobody's backing up her story on her side. Her whole side jumped ship. And now she's the only person left. You even have people saying that people threatened them to go speak. And that's why they, they spoke on her behalf. You have this other story that the New York Times said happened. Absolutely no corroboration. The person that they claim was the witness will, you know, isn't talking, won't talk about it. So that's, you know, I mean, as far as I know, just like completely made up, right? Like, I mean, the New York Times is clearly like a Democrat publication, right? They clearly have it out for Kavanaugh and Trump and anybody on that side. And, I mean, they could just write anything and just say, oh, this person said it. And then, uh, you know, days later, eventually this person's like not talking, refusing to talk, you know, or go anything about this. But doesn't matter. Damage is done because you know what? All these fucking liberal friends that I have, they all think Kavanaugh is a rapist. It's done. It's fucking over, you know? And and it doesn't matter, like, specifically, I guess, for him. Like, specifically for Kavanaugh, like, he's still in, you know, power or whatever. But it just galvanizes them, right? Like, it just further drills in their head that it's white men. Like, another evil white man out there raping girls. And then what's he get? He gets appointed to the Supreme Court. Like, the ultimate white devil shit, you know? That's what it, you know, it's fucking mission accomplished. Like, and this is like, I really do believe that there is an aspect of all this that operates in this way. That that part of this is not like, it doesn't have to achieve the goal of getting Kavanaugh impeached. It's like a nonstop media just drubbing of the masses with some, you know, narrative that just continually, continually demonizes white men. You know, and I and uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, or kind of a funny way to think about it, or, I don't know, just, just a good way to put it, but uh, Dave Smith had mentioned, like, you know, the thing is, is it's, it's like not that people are saying racist stuff against white people or white men or racist and sexist or whatever. It's like, whatever, you know what I mean? People say whatever they want, right? People say racist stuff, like, just, I mean, you know, people say racist stuff against black people, against white people, whatever, you know? But it's like, but what he said, but he's like, but it's in, but, but the, the shift is that it's okay to be this way, like, in quote-unquote polite society, like, this is the norm. And there is never, I have never existed in a time when it was okay in polite society to say something racist against black people. Like, I have not experienced that. That time, I don't know when it passed, but it passed a while ago. You know, I was thinking I was watching the um, an episode of that HBO show, The Ballers. And I think this was actually from last season. But the one guy who is, uh, it's actually Denzel Washington's son, I think, is the actor. And he goes to this party in L.A. with his new neighbors. And they're these white guys. And they're just like absolute 
caricatures of what these the liberal like media thinks of or tries to to create this image of these like white devils you know these just young wealthy they were tech entrepreneurs or something like that and they were just the absolute like prototypical like white frat dude and they were they just were like sort of this like overtly racist towards uh i forget his name but you know denzel washington's son's character and basically just like oh well you know you you know you're one of the good ones kind of thing like and uh yeah, and and then like his character just sort of flips out, and people gonna get mad at him for being, you know, why are you doing that? And later, you know, he's this real righteous, like I gotta stand up, you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you should stand up, right? I mean, hey, William Cooper stood up, and he got fucking blown away. He probably got shot a whole shitload of times in his front yard, and he stood up, you know. But like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what fucking party are you going to where where people are just being overtly in the face of a black person and being racist to them and and that's in this like really well-to-do like la town like you know one of those fucking liberal you know a super liberal city but somehow there's just these republican rich fat guys that just happen to live there and want him to come over you know, I mean, it's just, and, and, and it's like this, like, unreal situation. I'm not saying it's impossible to happen, but it's not the norm. It's anything but the norm, but it's fucking shoved down these people's throats, you know? It's just pumped into their head every single day that these are the white devils, they're the reason that you are unsuccessful, you know, like, whatever problems or unhappiness in your life, this is the primary cause. And this is where, you know, you turn your attention to. And not only does that not work, they become more unhappy, but they've, they've already, like, bought into the fucking lie that, that, like, white men are out to get them. And everything is easy for a white man, and everything is hard for you because you're either not white or you're not a man. So you could be a white woman, you could be a black man, you could be an Asian man or woman, Hispanic man or woman, whatever it is. You know, and you are not responsible for your life. You know, I mean, I think that that's like the real underlying thing that you're not responsible. Now you're, you're fucked, right? That's like part of the message. It's hopeless. You're not actually going to be able to cheat, right? This, this sort of like just media maelstrom of fucking bullshit is basically telling anybody that's like not a white man that you're not going to be able to succeed in the world through hard work. You know, your own intelligence, it's not enough. You know, you don't, you can't do it. You need the connections. It's not going to happen. What you need to do is fucking beg the government to put these motherfucking white devils down. That's what you got to do. 
you got to beg the government to come and vote in us, you know? Vote in fucking Bernie Sanders or Beto O'Rourke or whatever, you know? Elizabeth Warren, who they're going to send these the same people that they sent to gun fucking William Cooper down in his front front lawn, they're going to send them to all these white devil's houses. And they're going to steal their shit and then they're going to give it to you. And then once they've appropriated enough of that money and given it to all everybody else that is not white and not a male, both at the same time, once they've done that, then everything's going to be okay. Now you're going to be able to get up. You know, now, but we got to do this first. And if you don't, there's no fucking hope. You can't make it on your own. You're not, you're just not smart enough. You can't out. You know, these white devils are too cunning. You can't out, you know, you're not going to outdo them. But the funny thing is, is who's all in the government? I mean, there's the fucking devils, right? And I mean, <coughs> they're not all white men. It's a lot of fucking white men. I'm not saying, I'm not saying a lot of the bad people or a lion share of the bad people are fucking white devils. These white, you know, white men. But it's the fucking ones that you guys are like turning over the keys to. I mean, Beto O'Rourke, fucking Biden. Biden can't stop groping little girls. And they get into anywhere into his fucking vicinity. Bernie? I mean, all they want to do is just steal and gain, you know? And these are all rich white men. I don't, but it, I don't get why they want them. Isn't Biden leading? I think Biden's leading right now. So. Anyway, I mean that that was a huge tangent. I don't even remember exactly why I exactly how I was connecting that to her, but to Blase Ford and all this stuff. But I I mean just like ultimately it's like I'm at I, I've gotten to a point where I am like very open to extreme levels of deception and corruption when it comes to like anything involving the government. And I I think that there's very little that gets out that isn't you know spun and concocted to sort of serve a certain you know narrative and i believe that there is a serious serious crossover between the government and major media outlets um you know, and I mean, just listen. I mean, you know, you pull up any major media outlet on almost any story, and it's exactly the same across all of them. They just, you know, I don't know, somebody will like start to report, and then they will just report with that. I mean, look at what this is, right? I'm reading The Blaze. I mean, what is it? It's just they just copy and pasted some stuff from CBS and the New York Times, you know? It's the same thing. They just. They just fucking carve it up and, you know, repackage it, whatever. And it's really, unless you go, you know, and then you go to alternate media and it's like fucking night and day different. I mean, you're listening to it right now, right? This is alternate media. Do I, I don't sound, you know, nothing like CNN whatsoever. You listen to uh, a guy I've been hearing a lot of uh, Lift the Veil, 
you know that he's on D Live, but I think uh, you can follow his podcast. It'll come through like Apple Podcasts, you know. You know, obviously Alex Jones, whatever. You know, I mean, there's so many people on like YouTube. It, it's really interesting um, that I, I I do. I mean, I don't know where it's going to go ultimately. I have to look into D Live. I've been thinking about possibly doing like a video anyway, and I think D Live is a blockchain thing. I mean, just think about that. I mean, like in like a year ago or whatever, when I was ta- I was talking about you know the possible applications and doing stuff like this, and you know it looks like we have it. Like I I'm not really sure. I would like to you know do a little research into that, but you know. I'm not sure that that you could even like really take D Live down right now. You know, I don't think that there is this like obvious centralized server if it's truly like built on blockchain and stuff. But anyway, I will certainly like look into it. Um, so uh, anyway, I think uh, I I was going to talk a little bit about uh, the Chappelle stand up. Um, that was I thought it was very funny. Um, you know, as usual. Like I was just saying, just fits completely into this, right? Like when, first of all, for days or a week or maybe more after the he released the episode, it had no ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Literally just 0%. They didn't have anything. I don't know what, you know. And then they finally put it out. And the ratings from the expert critics or whatever was something around 25%, you know, so rotten, just terrible reviews. Everybody shitting on Dave Chappelle's standup. Uh, and then the audience score, 99%. Just get fucked, mainstream media. It's amazing that it still goes on. I mean, I know what, I mean, what Alex Jones says is it's straight up funded through like deep state shit, you know? Like they got all this black budget money. I mean, they fucking sell drugs to 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 fund stuff. I mean, who knows where they get the financing, but I it's just mind-blowing to me that this still operates and I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the hope, right? May, right, so I put out the hope that to vote in People that, you know, aren't going to continue to support, you know, the Fed and, you know, the military industrial complex and the war on drugs and stuff. But I guess the other one is just pure technology. Just outstrip them. And, you know, there's um, there was actually, I guess there's also the possibility of the financial system collapse. But I'll tell you this. Um where is this bed overnight so over god federal reserve so jeez alright so overnight there was some issues that the Fed had to come in, and so you know it kind of connects with this. Um, so here we go. I don't know who the fuck Money Maven is, but let's let it go. Funding chaos. The rate on overnight repo transactions soared to record levels. 
Bloomberg reports U.S. money market interest rates surged for a second day Tuesday as cash reserves in the banking system remain out of balance with the volume of securities on dealer balance sheets. Amid the squeeze, the effective fund rate rose to 2.25% in line with the top of the Federal Reserve's target range of 2 to 2.5, the rate on overnight general collateral purchase agreements soared by more than 600 basis points to 8.75% uh, for settling back to 7.25. Surges are commonplace only around quarter and month end, so market participants has expected things might return to normal. On Monday, the rate on overnight... Uh, Overnight, oh, general collateral soared as much as 248 basis points to 4.75, the highest level since December, according to ICAP pricing. Amid the settlement of treasury coupon auctions and the influx of corporate quarterly tax payments, positively aggravated by last week's bond sell market sell-off in which investors sold securities back to dealers. Uh, anyway... So the Fed then injects $75 billion into the financial system. So the Fed seems to have fixed whatever problem was with the $75 billion injection. Repo rates are back down for now. So, you know, we've got these interest rate spikes. And so this is something that the previous bubble and burst, like the real estate one, they didn't have stuff like this, you know? There wasn't, like, interest rate issues. Um, and the Fed's solution here is to inject $75 billion. So just out of thin air, here you go. Here's $75 billion, and that we'll all pay for it, right? Because that made our money, collectively, $75 billion less valuable. So... Um, Anyway, there's been lots and lots of rumbling, and I'm not, this was not the episode that I was going to talk about, uh, you know, stuff like that, um, but I did, I did want to mention it, and um, because there was just this big, uh, now this other article says $53 billion. Um, but anyway... <clears throat> Yeah, so it's just like a spike in overnight borrowing in this. Whoops. Ugh, great. CNN has a fucking auto playing video because they're fucking monsters. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the goal is to pump money into the system to keep borrowing, borrowing costs from creeping above the Fed's target range. Right. So, what's happening? You have interest rates climbing and the economy slowing down, but they're they're climbing because of market forces as the Fed is try attempting to cut rates. But right, they can always just print as much money. I mean, it's like fifty three billion. I mean, you know, they can print whatever they want to keep the rates to keep them down, but. And then they say the return of QE. Well, this certainly was QE, wasn't it? 70, you know, whatever, 60, 70 billion, billion. I mean, this is like, you know, 10% of TARP. And this just happened overnight. 
a snap of the finger and 10% of all of the bailout that happened after the the uh, financial crisis of 2008 just goes out of the Fed's door to whomever they want to buy from. I mean, the amount of money that they're working with is insane. Insane. 50, was this 53 billion? Wow. So, I'm going to stop here with just a little summary of, you know, my thoughts of where this is going. I do not think the financial collapse of, you know, the dollar, the U.S. economy is going to wind up being good for us libertarians, people that are into hard assets, gold, whatever. I don't think it's only going to work out for us. Or just in general, I don't care if you like gold or Bitcoin, whatever you like. If you like freedom and you like small government or no government, I honestly don't think that this is going to end well for us. Because I think that this financial crisis, the next one that's coming, is going to be an attempt. And they may not succeed. It may not completely crush the Fed or the dollar. But if it does... And they're able to get enough will going, you know, spin enough stuff to demonize capitalism or whatever. They're going to make a central bank for the whole world. And at that point, you can call yourself the government of the United States or, you know, the, the Eurozone or Britain can split off and do their own thing in North Korea and South Korea. But if there's one bank that's the ruler and that's where they're going and i don't think that this is going to be this big boon for gold i think that we're going for a, the next cycle of ultimate centralization of wealth and power in the world and it's going to dwarf what we've seen up till this point and I think that people have been rendered too dumb and ignorant and too weak to stand up for themselves. And I think that's what's going to happen. So, sorry for the hopeless ending, but I do believe that is the truth. But hey, hopefully it won't happen this week. And we can all still have some fun living our relatively free lives here. Uh, until next time. Peace.